Good morning and welcome again to Second Baptist Church Online. Thank you for joining us. I want you to find a Bible and find a notebook with a pen so you can take notes today. This morning we continue our series through the book of James. I began this series last week in James chapter 1. I'm calling this sermon series, When Faith Works. James wants us to understand that genuine salvation is going to lead to good works. Our faith will lead to action. But he's also very careful to remind us that that our works don't produce or earn salvation. Here in James chapter 1 today, we're going to zoom out a little bit. We looked at the first four verses last week. Today, we're looking at the first 12 verses. So we're going to zoom out a little bit. And I want to talk to you about this sermon subject today, From Trouble to Triumph. So last week, we studied the first four verses. This week, we're studying the first 12 verses as James continues the theme of trials, troubles, tribulation, but he includes the element of victory and triumph. Let's look at James chapter 1, begin reading with me in verse 1, and we'll read to verse 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Remember this morning, the power is in the perfect word of God. Maybe you can relate to the story of Chippy the parakeet. Have you ever heard of Chippy? Well, the story of Chippy the parakeet is told by Max Lucado. Chippy was minding his own business there in his cage, perched on his spot singing his song. When Chippy's owner one morning decided that she was going to clean the cage, she got the vacuum and she took the attachment off the end of the vacuum and she began to vacuum out the bottom of his cage. Right then, the phone rang. As she turned to answer the phone, immediately she heard a sound. This parakeet, Chippy, had been sucked into the vacuum. Frantically, she slammed the phone, turned off the vacuum, and began to open up the bag. And there she found her parakeet, Chippy, alive but very much stunned. He was covered in soot and grime and dirt. So she did what any loving bird owner would do. She went to the bathroom and she turned on the water and she began to wash off her bird and then she saw that Chippy was shaking and trembling because Chippy was freezing to death. So she did what any loving bird owner would do. She took the blow dryer and she began to dry off Chippy. This little bird did not know what hit him. There was a reporter who reported on the event who checked with the owner a few days later after the trauma was over. 
And the reporter said, I just want to check in on Chippy. How's your, how's your parakeet doing? The woman said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. No wonder. Sucked in and washed up and blown over. Chippy had lost its song. That's enough to steal the song from the strongest heart. The reality is that in our lives, we can feel like that from time to time. Trials and troubles, life will knock us off our feet and flat on our backs. And a trauma, a difficulty will steal our joy. A storm can steal our song. James continues with his idea of troubles and trials. But today, he puts an exclamation point at the end of his thinking in verse 12. We can go from trouble to triumph. So how are we to approach trials in a godly, Christ-honoring way? First of all, notice as we review the verses that we saw last week, we need to approach trials with joy. We should approach trials with joy. As we saw last Sunday, James says that we can count it all joy when we approach trials of various kinds. We can know that even in the midst of trials, God gives us His presence and His power and His grace to walk through difficult days. We saw how God can use trials to grow us and mature us and to deepen and strengthen our faith. And we can learn to count it all joy even in the midst of trials. While trials are unavoidable and trials are unpredictable and trials come in an unimaginable variety, we can trust God and know that He wants to use trials to bring about our good and His glory. There's a Colorado company that makes printers, but these are no ordinary printers. Before they ship a printer, they've, they've titled one final process before this printer ships. They've titled this process ruggedization. Now, I've never heard of that word. I think they probably made the word up. They took the word rugged and they put ization on the end of it. But the point is, they're making sure their printers are up to the task. And so what they do is, they freeze their printers. And then they heat them up to 130 degrees Fahrenheit. And then they shake the printers violently for 15 minutes. Then and only then, if the printer passes the test, are they willing to ship their printers to the front lines to the U.S. military for use on the battlefield. They want to make sure that their printers will stand up to the test. Well, I would say if, if God only needed Christians to function in a world that was just air-conditioned, sitting behind a desk, an office, if life was only easy, God would never have to put us through a process of ruggedization. But because God knows that Every day when we step out into this world, we're stepping on a spiritual battlefield. God puts us through times of, of testing and, and, and times of, of trouble to prepare us to serve Him. And as we trust God through the difficult days, we'll become rugged and ready, prepared to be used on the front lines of battle. We need to approach trials with joy. Secondly, James teaches us in verses 5 through 8 that we should ask God for wisdom. That when we face trials, we need to turn to the Lord and ask God for wisdom. Isn't it interesting that when troubles come our way, 
Far too often we'll turn every other place before we turn to the Lord. Well, James says here in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Now, we need to stop right there and admit that all of us need wisdom, that there is no one person who has the perfect supply of wisdom, that all of us are in deep need of godly wisdom. And we need to understand that wisdom is more than information. It's more than knowledge. It's more than education. It's more than common sense. Wisdom comes only from God. And James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Without reproach. He's not going to insult you because you come to him asking for wisdom. He's going to grant you wisdom, but there's one important qualification. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. So when we come to God and ask for his wisdom in any circumstance or situation, we need to ask in faith, knowing that God can give us what we ask for. He can grant us wisdom. James goes on to say, let him ask in faith with no doubting, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now he paints a picture here, a picture you can clearly get in your mind. What do waves do? Waves are up one minute and down the next, and then up one minute and down the next. So James says that this person who's who's unstable, this person who doesn't ask in faith, this person who asks while he doubts is is a double-minded man. In other words, he's up one minute and he's down the next. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And so this is what it looks like in your life if you're unstable. Faith says yes, and we're on the mountaintop. And then the next minute, doubt says no, and we're in the valley. And then faith says yes, and doubt says no, and you're up and down on a roller coaster ride, like a, like a cork in the ocean going up and down, up and down, back and forth. And James says, if you're going to come to God and ask for wisdom, you've got to believe that God can give you the wisdom that you ask for. Ask in faith with no doubting. Come to God and ask for wisdom. We live in a world and an age that is ever increasing in knowledge. In his book, Megatrends, John Nesbitt writes that there are about 6,000 or 7,000 scientific articles written every single day. He says that currently knowledge is increasing by about 13% a year. So that's worldwide knowledge increasing about 13% a year. So, so over the course of a few years, about five and a half years, the, the total knowledge on the earth is going to double. That's not all. He says because of more scientists, because of supercomputers, that that rate is going to increase to 40%. So in about 20 months, knowledge, the, the knowledge of the earth will double In 20 months, we are not at a lack of knowledge. Our world is drowning in knowledge, but starving for wisdom. Wisdom is is using the knowledge that God has given us applied in a biblical and spiritual sense. You see, we're, we're approaching a day when knowledge is going to double seemingly every two years, less than that. But we're in desperate supply of wisdom. We've learned to travel faster than the speed of sound, but we're going in the wrong direction. We've learned so much about the world in which we live, but we no longer know how to live in this world. We are desperately in need of the wisdom of God. And God says, if you need wisdom, we all do. Ask in faith. You know something about God? God opens the door of his wisdom to those who open their Bibles. Study the word of God. Draw close to him, 
Ask God for wisdom no matter what you're facing and experience His promise in your life. So first, in the first four verses, approach trials with joy. Secondly, ask God for wisdom. And then in the next few verses, verses 9 through 11, we need to assess the situation properly. Assess the situation properly. If you're reading chapter 1, you can almost feel like James is, is going down a rabbit trail or maybe this is off topic or a different subject because he begins to talk about the, the wealthy and the lowly. He begins to talk about those that have a lot and those that have a little in verses 9 through 11. But this is in keeping with his idea because the reality is when we face trials or troubles in life, we have a tendency to believe if I just had a different situation, if I just had a little more money, if I just had a different marriage, if I just had a different job, then I wouldn't be going through trials. We all suffer from the grass is greener syndrome from time to time where we think because we're in a difficult situation, if we just had another situation, things would be better. James warns us. Here he says, a paradox, let the lowly brother rejoice in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. This is something that sounds strange. That's what a paradox is. It doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to fit. James is telling us that those that are lowly in this life, those that seem to have nothing, are truly exalted in God's economy. And those that seem to have everything, if they don't have Christ, they've got nothing. So James is warning us. Sometimes you think that maybe a little bit more money would fix all your problems. No, you just have more problems with a few more zeros tacked on the end. James is warning us not to think that, well, if we just had a different situation, life might be a little better. You see, money can't buy you happiness. Money can't buy you one more second of life on this earth. Money can't buy you favor with God. Money can't buy you a home in heaven. And the sad reality is that often those that are the wealthiest in this life are the emptiest on the inside. James warns us, approach the situation properly. Look at what he says in verse 11. Think about this now. Live with this perspective. He says, the sun rises with its scorching heat. It withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So if you're living life only in search of the almighty dollar and you don't worry about almighty God, James has a word for you. It's going to go away just like that. James's Palestinian readers, those that live in the land of Palestine, would understand exactly what he's talking about. While it's a dry and arid climate, occasionally rainstorms would come in the evenings. And when the rain would come in the evenings, as you look at the desert in the morning, you could see little blades of grass or, or wildflowers peeking out of the ground. But by the afternoon, when the sun was at its peak and it had reached the heat of day, those flowers and those blades of grass had been scorched and they died. And James is saying, if you live your life in pursuit of wealth, thinking that all your problems go away when you get plenty of money, guess what happens? Life is like a vapor. It's like the mist in the morning, the fog that disappears with the heat of the sun, or those blades of grass or those wild flowers that shoot up after the rain. But then they don't last. James is reminding us of God's perspective. Let the lowly brother rejoice in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. You see, you may have no worth or value in the eyes of the world. You may feel like you've got nothing. 
But there's nothing in this life, no trial, no trouble, no insults, no pain, no problem. There's nothing in life that can take away your eternal inheritance in Christ. If you have nothing in this world but you have Christ, you have everything. James is reminding you, he's reminding us to have a proper perspective when it comes to the trials of this life. Trials remind us that this world is not our home. And this gives us hope in the midst of trials and troubles. We're growing in our faith. We're being strengthened. So we need to learn to look at our situation properly. To assess the situation through the eyes of Almighty God as He grows us and matures us in our faith. And finally, we, we notice in verse 12, James encourages us to anticipate the outcome. As we walk through trials and troubles in this life, turning trials into triumph, James wants us to live with an eternal perspective. Anticipate the outcome just means to live with, with heaven in view, to live with an eternal perspective. Look at what he says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Remember that word steadfast? We saw it last week. It's like the tree that stands up against the storm. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. James here is shifting our perspective off of our immediate circumstances, the trials and troubles of life, and he shifts our perspective to eternity, to heaven. Here he begins with the word blessed. You might want to circle that in your Bible. It's the same exact word Jesus uses in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus says to his disciples, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets that were before you. So James just expands upon that idea, the same thing Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, that you're blessed when you remain steadfast under trial because you will receive the crown of life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see how Paul describes the trials and troubles of this life. He calls them light, momentary afflictions. You may say, well, Paul has no idea what I'm going through. Paul suffered persecution. He was abandoned. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was imprisoned. And he's reminding us these light, momentary afflictions will work for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. It's said that sailors... When they're testing, submarines have to go deep down into the depths of the ocean. And one day, there was a submarine test, and as the sub made it back safely to harbor after being underwater for many hours, the captain looked at the commanding officer and said, how did you, how did you weather the storm last night? The commanding officer looked back in surprise and said, storm? We didn't even know there was a storm. You see, deep down in the depths of the ocean, there's an area that sailors know. It's called the cushion of the sea. It doesn't matter 
how high the waves are or how, how much the wind whips on the surface. It doesn't matter the storms that are experienced on the surface of the waves, down deep in the depths of the ocean, it's calm. The commanding officer didn't even know there was a storm because there they rested in the depths of the ocean. Although on the surface sometimes the winds may whip, they may get high, the waves may crash against us. When we dive down deep in the depths of our relationship with God, we can find a peace, an assurance, a calm, unlike anything we've ever known in this life. And James reminds us that when we face trials in this life, we need to have an eternal perspective. He says, we will receive, if we remain steadfast, we will receive the crown of life which God will reward to those who love Him. The crown of life. Christ wore the crown of thorns so we could wear the crown of life. And James says, like Paul, this momentary light of affliction leads to something greater in the end. We need to keep an eternal perspective. The old hymn says it like this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race until we see Christ. That's the principle that we see right here in the book of James. As we walk through trials in this life, we can experience the triumph, the victory of knowing Christ. God will use them to deepen and strengthen your faith and to remind you this world is not your home. But what you walk through in this life that draws you closer to Christ, you will receive a blessing beyond compare one day in heaven. This morning, I want to ask you a very important question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith in Christ? Do you know that you're a part of the family of God, that you're going to heaven one day? Maybe today you're in the midst of a trial and you need prayer. Or you need a church family, a second family to, to walk with you and encourage you in your spiritual journey. I want to encourage you to respond today. If you're here and you need Jesus, you can know Jesus the God who created you, loves you, and wants to have a relationship with you. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. He didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. Now he's ascended to heaven. He offers salvation to all who repent and believe. Today, if you need Christ, you can pray a very simple prayer like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I believe the Savior is Jesus. I repent of my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. If you've trusted in Jesus today, you can text the word RESPOND to 478-324-5402. We'd love to know about your decision. We'd love to tell you more about what it means to follow Christ. Maybe you need prayer. You're walking through a difficulty, a struggle, a trial. We want to pray for you. Maybe you want more information about our church and what it means to be part of our second family. We can tell you that as well. Just text the word RESPOND to 478-324-5402. We'd love to reach out to you and connect with you during this time. And church, remember, God can take your trials 
and turn them into a triumph. He can take your pain and turn it into a promise. He's got your best interest at heart. He loves you. I love you. I miss you. And I'm praying for you. 